Now, it feels like, as a society, many things have kind of returned to our new normal, we'll say. It's definitely not the same normal, but we're kind of getting back to a new normal, right? You are probably going out without wearing a mask. Maybe even your work no longer requires you to wear a mask. We're not seeing the six feet apart kind of stuff all the time, or you might still see the stickers on the floor, but they're practically worn through, right? It feels like we're kind of back to normal. And so when we talk about the end of the COVID-19 PHE, it may not feel like something that's going to substantially impact you. And in some ways it may not, but in other ways, there are definitely certain provisions that have been utilized under the public health emergency that will no longer be in effect once it ends. So that probably leads you to your next question of when exactly does the public health emergency end? And the answer is May 11th, 2023. Hi, I'm Clarice Grody and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to the Amplify OT podcast. There is a very important date that is right around the corner, which is the end of the COVID-19 public health emergency. Now, if you're in the Amplify OT membership, there is an entire course on the end of the public health emergency that uploaded a couple weeks ago, as well as 2023 Medicare and advocacy updates. So it's about an hour and 15-ish minutes. It's worth a CE credit if you take the quiz. So If you're an Amplify OT member, listen to this podcast and then also go ahead and watch that course because we get a little quite a bit more in depth as terms of what a public health emergency is and what's changing. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the COVID-19 public health emergency. Now, as a society, we've kind of come to think about being in a public health emergency as like a, a state of being, something that isn't official, something that maybe kind of exists in our minds as like this feels like a public health emergency. But what a public health emergency actually is, is a policy. It's a declaration that goes through a formal process versus it just kind of us deciding that we're in a state of emergency, which is why sometimes when we talk about the fact that there still is the COVID-19 PHE, which is short for public health emergency, which is how I'll probably be referring to it to not overburden you with the same words. But we kind of feel like it's over, right? And we were like, why are we still in this state of emergency? It no longer feels like an emergency like it did in 2020. But actually, the utilization of PHEs and declaring public health emergencies is actually pretty common. And there's usually quite a few going on at the same time. Like we've had ones for the opioid pandemic for a long time. We've had one for monkeypox. We had one for Ebola, right? So there's just multiple different PHEs and they're basically a declaration that's put out. It's under section 319 of the Public Health Services Act. And so this is a declaration that's declared by the Department of Health and Human Services or HHS. And the reason public health emergencies are important is because they open up special funds and processes that people then have access to. So Once you declare a public health emergency, it opens up different grant authorities, contract opportunities, ability to investigate or fund treatment, as well as additional resources going towards prevention of a disease, as well 
is there are certain abilities to modify different things of Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, or HIPAA requirements. And we definitely saw the full utilization of the flexibilities of a public health emergency utilized during this specific COVID-19 PHE. Now, it feels like, as a society, many things have kind of returned to our new normal, we'll say. It's definitely not the same normal, but we're kind of getting back to a new normal, right? You are probably going out without wearing a mask. Maybe even your work no longer requires you to wear a mask. We're not seeing the six feet apart kind of stuff all the time, or you might still see the stickers on the floor, but they're practically worn through, right? It feels like we're kind of back to normal. And so when we talk about the end of the COVID-19 PHE, it may not feel like something that's going to substantially impact you. And in some ways it may not, but in other ways, there are definitely certain provisions that have been utilized under the public health emergency that will no longer be in effect once it ends. So that probably leads you to your next question of when exactly does the public health emergency end? And the answer is May 11th, 2023. This will especially be something you want to pay attention to if you're a relatively new grad because the public health emergency for COVID was actually implemented starting January 31st of 2020 by HHS. So if you've graduated since then, you have never worked in an environment that was not under the flexibilities of the public health emergency. So there are lots of things changing because of the end of the PHE. And there are some certain things that I want you to pay attention to as we go throughout this. So there are some long-term impacts of how we provide practice, and there are certain waivers that have been utilized. Now, these waivers, and we're going to be primarily talking about Medicare waivers. These Medicare waivers, some of them end when the public health emergency ends, which will be May 11th, meaning that May 12th, the policy is different. Others end at the end of the calendar year in which the public health emergency ends. And if that sounds like a bunch of words, basically what it means is that the policy will remain or the flexibility will remain in place through December 31st of 2023, meaning starting January 1st of 2024, brand new policy or back to the same old policy. The third thing you need to pay attention to is whether or not it has been temporarily extended or it's been made permanent. So there are some waivers that have been made permanent or portions of them have become permanent policy and they won't expire. Others have been temporarily extended, like telehealth is one where the waiver has been temporarily extended, but it has yet to be made permanent. So I'm definitely going to make sure to mention these time points when we're talking about the different policies, but it's important to know not everything will change on May 12th of 2023. Not everything will change January 1st of 2024. So, of course, policy can never be easy or simple, which is why I'm here to try and help. And also, you know, something that we'll keep kind of talking through in podcasts, blogs, and especially in the Amplify OT membership. And if you're interested in learning more about that, head to the link in the show notes and you've got access to learning all about what exactly is included in this community where I post the majority of my kind of up-to-date information. So to lay a bit of the ground rules, I'm going to present information in kind of a certain process. We're going to first talk about what the waiver is, so what it's impacting. I'm going to tell you what was existing before the public health emergency, so before January 31st or 30th of 2020, what the waiver said, and when it ends, as well as what will happen after the public health emergency ends and when the waiver expires. We'll then also kind of overview some of the impacts that this waiver might have. All right, sound good? Clear as mud? Perfect. Let's dive into the first one, which I get a lot of questions about, 
which is the OTA and PTA supervision requirement in private practice. So if you are a mobile Part B provider or you work in private practice, you definitely want to pay attention to this one. Now, it's important to note that this does not apply to hospital-based outpatients or skilled nursing facilities. So before the public health emergency, Medicare Part B, if you are in private practice, OTA, so occupational therapy assistance and physical therapist assistance, were required to receive direct supervision in private practice. And this was part of the Chapter 15 Medicare Benefit Policy Manual, which impacts Medicare Part B. Now, the important part here is direct supervision and private practice. So it doesn't apply to everywhere that bills Part B. It just applies to private practice. The second part of that is direct supervision, meaning that whoever was in charge of supervising, so the OT or the PT, had to be on site. Now, not necessarily in the same room where the OTA or PTA was within line of sight, but that OT or PT had to be physically present in the same building. Which, if you work in mobile Part B and you're billing Medicare Part B as a private practice in a patient's home, unfortunately, essentially eliminates OTAs and PTAs from being able to see Medicare Part B patients in the home because of the direct supervision requirement, because then you'd have to have the OT and the OTA in the same home at the same time, and that just does not make financial sense. So this waiver was implemented early on in the public health emergency, and it changed or temporarily modified the requirement of direct supervision to general supervision, unless your state is more strict. Now, I believe there are two states that are more strict. Kentucky, I believe, requires direct supervision no matter what for OTAs. And New York, I believe, requires direct supervision for PTAs no matter what. So under the waiver, Medicare changed the direct supervision requirement in private practice to general supervision, meaning that the OT or PT just had to be available. So you could either be on site or you could be available via you know, telephone or some sort of other communication, but you didn't have to be physically present in the same building. So obviously this opened up a lot of different opportunities for rural practices to have OTAs and PTAs, for mobile Part B providers to have OTAs and PTAs working for them because of the general supervision. Now, unfortunately, this waiver will be ending. It will end on January 1st, 2024. So this is one of those waivers that ends in the same calendar year in which the public health emergency expires. So this waiver, so the ability to provide general supervision in private practice for OTAs and PTAs will expire at the end of the year. Unfortunately, the potential impact of this could be job loss or decreased hours, also decreased flexibility, as well as access. So it's important if you are especially an OTA or PTA working for a private practice or a mobile Part B provider that you start having these conversations around what your job will look like after January 1st. So in order to make this kind of change permanent, it would require an act of Congress, meaning legislation has to be passed. Now, AOTA did propose legislation in 2021 to try and address this issue as well as the OTA and PTA payment differential under Medicare Part B. This bill was known as the SMART Act, or Stabilizing Medicare Access to Rehabilitation and Therapy. Unfortunately, it did not pass as part of the 117th Congress. And if you want to learn more about this bill, then I encourage you to listen to episode 20, which is the 2022 year-end OT advocacy updates, as well as episode 17, where Heather Parsons, the Vice President of Federal Affairs at AOTA, talks about some of the advocacy initiatives and some of the more policy wonky side of the SMART Act. Now, there are plans to reintroduce this legislation, 
But Congress has been in somewhat of a gridlock, uh, and the likelihood of this legislation specifically passing before the end of the calendar year is quite low. So while there may be change in the future, and AOTA and as well as APTA are definitely advocating for this permanent change because it is burdensome, I wouldn't bet on it passing or even necessarily being introduced before the end of the calendar year. So good to go ahead and start having those conversations now. After this quick break, we're going to talk about the flexibilities that are ending in home health and skilled nursing facilities. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses, and that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT Amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AMPLIFYOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AMPLIFYOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support AmplifyOT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to MedBridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to MedBridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who are share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. And we're back. So let's go ahead and dive right back into the weeds, starting with home health. So home health has had quite a few changes in the last couple of years, whether it be from the waivers or from legislation. And let me tell you, the misinformation is already traveling fast around many of these waivers. So if you work in home health for a home health agency, listen up. So the main one that we're going to talk about 
is the ability for OTs to initiate and complete the comprehensive start of care in home health for Medicare Part A patients, which we'll probably just keep referring to the OASIS start of care, even though that's only part of the initial comprehensive assessment. So before the public health emergency, before the waiver, OTs, so occupational therapists, I'm using that specifically because this does not apply to OTAs, OTs were unable to initiate the comprehensive start of care. PT and speech therapy were able to for therapy-only cases, meaning when nursing was not on the order, and nursing had to initiate the start of care when they were on the initial order for home health. Now, as always, keep in mind that this only applies to Medicare Part A patients. Now, if you want more information on the OASIS and getting into the weeds of some of this specific policy, listen to episode 10, which is all about the Home Health Oasis and talks about this, as well as episode 15 about whether or not CMS is changing its policy on if OT can initiate the OASIS. So I'll give you a quick summary, basically, of that podcast right now. So during the PHE, CMS released a waiver allowing OT, PT, speech, and nursing to initiate the OASIS start of care in all cases. So meaning even if nursing was on the order, the occupational therapist could still go out and complete the start of care. Now, this waiver ends on May 11th, 2023. So it ends when the public health emergency ends, meaning May 12th, we go back to part of the previous policy. And if you picked up on the part, here's what I mean. During this whole public health emergency process, AOTA and occupational therapy had a huge advocacy win in which the language of the Medicare Home Health Flexibility Act was included in the year-end omnibus bill in 2021, meaning that CMS permanently changed their policy on the ability for occupational therapists to initiate the start of care in therapy-only cases for Medicare Part A. Now, many home health agencies missed this fact because it happened during the public health emergency when there was already a more flexible waiver in place. So they may not have really noticed that there was actually a permanent change in policy. So this is where most of the misinformation is coming from and that home health agencies are assuming that the policy is going back to the previous policy in which OTs were unable to initiate the start of care in any circumstances, even therapy only for Medicare Part A. So this is where you come in. You need to make sure that your agency understands there has been a permanent change in policy. Where is that permanent change? I'm so glad you asked. I actually have a blog where I took copies of the conditions of participation and plugged them right in so you could easily print out that blog and that resource, hand it directly to your boss and say, look, here is the documented change in policy as part of the home health conditions of participation, allowing occupational therapists to initiate and complete the comprehensive start of care in therapy only cases. So to summarize all of this, starting May 12th, 2023, OT, PT, and speech, so occupational therapists, physical therapists, and speech therapists can initiate the start of care in therapy-only cases for Medicare Part A, meaning that nursing is not on that initial order. Starting May 12th, if nursing, skilled nursing, is on the initial order, the nurse is supposed to complete the comprehensive start of care. So that's the main waiver that impacts occupational therapy. There are some other temporary waivers that are expiring in home health around home health aid training and home health aid supervision. So if your agency has been asking OTs or OTAs to serve as home health aides, it's a good time to check into that. And that should be actually an entire another podcast episode in the future around OTAs and OTs being asked to serve as home health aides and potentially some of the legal and policy related issues with that. But if you want more information on that, especially if you're an Amplify OT member, that is in the course. Now we're moving on to our next setting, skilled nursing facilities. 
These are waivers that are expiring related to SNF, but honestly, this is more of an impact if you work in acute care. So before the public health emergency, in order for a patient to be able to go to a skilled nursing facility under Medicare Part A, in order for that coverage benefit to trigger, they needed to have a qualified inpatient hospital stay. This is also known as the three midnight rule. So meaning that a patient had to have an inpatient hospital stay for three midnights before Medicare Part A would cover the skilled nursing facility stay. So if your patient was observation, tough luck, can't go to SNP. Now again, keep in mind this applies to Medicare Part A patients. So if your patient's on Medicare Advantage, that has different policies. So what the waiver did during the public health emergency is it waived this requirement requiring three midnights. So a patient could discharge to a SNF and have Medicare Part A cover the benefit if they were impacted by COVID-19. So this waiver was used a lot, especially at the start of the pandemic, to try and reserve staff in the hospital as well as clear out beds to manage any kind of influx of patients related to the pandemic. So you were seeing patients discharged really quickly especially to SNF because Medicare was willing to waive the three midnight rule. Now, this is a waiver that ends when the public health emergency ends, so May 11th of 2023. So starting May 12th, your patients will go back to requiring a three midnight stay in order to discharge to a SNF if they're Medicare Part A. Now, depending on where you work and whether or not your facility was really, your hospital was really using this waiver, things may not really be different for you. It may be kind of how they've always been, but... Don't be surprised if your hospital has been utilizing this waiver, which you may not have even known they were using, if all of a sudden you're recommending SNF for your observation patients or your patients who've only been there a day or two, and the case manager or the social worker is telling you, sorry, that's not going to work anymore. It's nothing about you. It's just about the fact that Medicare won't pay for the SNF stay, and people don't want to pay out of pocket for that. Other side notes is that if you work as part of an accountable care organization, which you may not know that you're in one, but some ACOs do have a three-day waiver meaning that their patients don't have to have three days in a SNF. There is advocacy around repealing this requirement, but so far it hasn't gone anywhere. I believe this is one that would also most likely require an act of Congress to change. So we'll keep you posted on whether or not there's any legislation introduced around this. But especially now that we've had this flexibility for three years, uh, there's probably going to be some resistance to putting it back in place. But unless Congress takes action, the law is the law. The second waiver that, again, most likely didn't really impact you too much and may not have been as frequently utilized as the first one is the fact that there was a waiver allowing patients SNF benefits to start over without a new benefit period or what sometimes is called a wellness period. So Medicare typically only covers 100 days of skilled nursing facility days under Medicare Part A and those days start over if a patient has started a new benefit period, meaning they haven't received inpatient skilled services for 60 days. So if you ever want to discharge a patient to a SNF and you hear that they're out of skilled days, this is what it's talking about. Now, if for whatever reason the patient wasn't able to complete their whole benefit period or wellness period because of COVID-19, this waiver essentially allowed them to start over their benefits, so start over their skilled days without completing the full wellness period. Again, this is one that had a lot more restrictions around it, so it may not have been as frequently utilized. But again, this one ends May 11th of 2023, so starting then, you basically need to make sure that your patients have completed that 60 days out of the hospital or out of the SNF in order for their benefit period to start over. This is, again, where making friends with case managers and social workers is a good idea, so you can ask them questions about whether or not they have any skilled days left to make sure that your discharge plan is going to be effective. 
All right. And last but not least, we have telehealth, what you've all been waiting for. So this one gets a little bit tricky. So strap on your policy hats because there are lots of different changes with telehealth. So this is telehealth under Medicare Part B. Uh, There is some telehealth allowances in Medicare Part A, depending on your setting, but this is specific to Medicare Part B. So before the public health emergency, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech therapy were not able to bill for telehealth services in any circumstances under Medicare Part B. Medicare also has numerous requirements on telehealth, such as that it had to be provided in a healthcare facility, so it couldn't be provided in a patient's home. So if a patient needed to receive telehealth, they would have to go to like a hospital to receive telehealth, which personally defeats the whole point of telehealth, but that's how it was set up. And it was really only available to people in rural only areas. So it was really just, it was really a benefit just to reach the people who absolutely did not have any other resources available to them. Now, under the public health emergency, CMS essentially opened Pandora's box in terms of telehealth. They initiated waivers that allowed OT and OTAs, PTs and PTAs, and speech therapists to bill for telehealth under Medicare Part B. So basically, they could now provide essentially the same services that they could provide in the clinic, but through telehealth and bill for it the same way with a few different documentation modifications. There was also some flexibilities around HIPAA-compliant devices. So if you remember, there were some initial flexibilities that maybe your patient could receive telehealth through their iPhone or through some other home computer device that wasn't necessarily encrypted or HIPAA-compliant. Now, many of those waivers have since expired, even before the end of the public health emergency, especially around HIPAA compliance. The other parts of the waiver opened up telehealth to be available to all patients, regardless of where they're located, as well as allowing patients to receive telehealth in their home versus having to go to a specific healthcare facility. Now, this originally was a waiver that ended when the public health emergency ended, but Congress took action twice to extend the telehealth waiver because patients really like it and it's been shown to be effective. So Congress passed the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023, which is the year-end omnibus bill at the end of 2022, but it takes place in 2023, extending the flexibilities of the telehealth waiver until the end of 2024. So meaning starting January 1st of 2025, assuming nothing else changes, OTPT and speech will no longer be covered as a telehealth benefit under Medicare Part B. So this legislation continued to make telehealth available to people no matter their geographic location within the United States. People on Medicare could stay home for their visits. Certain visits can be audio only, such as involving the telephone, and the therapies are still eligible to bill for telehealth. Now, even though this is only a temporary fix, there definitely is appetite in Congress to make it a permanent fix. So don't lose hope that telehealth will go away. But again, this is where advocacy is really important. It's really important that in your notes, if you're providing telehealth, that you're documenting that it's safe, that it's effective, that you're making sure to demonstrate that you're still providing a skilled service, because these are all going to be things that CMS and Congress are looking at to see whether or not therapies are utilizing telehealth appropriately or whether or not we're abusing the privileges. AOTA is absolutely going to continue advocating for telehealth, and the fact that we were even included in this bill is an example of why advocacy isn't about the short gains, it's about the long-term gains, because AOTA has been advocating for the expansion of telehealth for years, as well as the other therapies, and it has never been a guarantee that occupational therapy would be included in telehealth legislation without us having to ask for it. But this time, when they wrote up the legislation, occupational therapy was included without AOTA having to ask them for it. 
So this means that occupational therapy, because of our lobbying efforts, because of AOTA, because of people like you, occupational therapy is front of mind with the other therapies when they're writing legislation. And that in itself is a huge win. Now, there is one final point that I will mention before we end, which is Medicaid. Under the public health emergency, states who were receiving certain federal funding were not able to remove patients or individuals from their Medicaid roles during the public health emergency while they were receiving those financial credits. So what this means is that patients have not been removed from Medicaid even if they no longer meet requirements or they didn't submit the right paperwork. Now, as part of that year-end omnibus bill, Congress actually required this specific provision to end at the beginning of April. So states have already begun the process of going through their Medicaid rolls and removing people from their Medicaid benefits. Now, this is a process over time, so the official funding will end in December. So this will not be like all of a sudden April 1st, millions of people lost their coverage, but it is happening over time. So especially if your patients are on Medicaid, you're going to want to be checking their benefits to make sure they're still active. If you're in a position where you feel comfortable and it's appropriate This is a good time to mention to your Medicaid patients that they may want to check to make sure that they have all their paperwork fully submitted to make sure that they're able to stay on the Medicaid benefit, because especially we know how many people were displaced during the public health emergency, how many people moved, had changes in job status, and they weren't really required to keep up that paperwork. So if the state can't find the individual because they've relocated, they may lose their coverage, even though they may still be eligible for Medicaid. Oh, and last but not least, but the public health emergency will also impact things like vaccinations and coverage of COVID-19 testing. Now, private health insurances, Medicare, Medicaid will still continue to cover the COVID-19 vaccine. However, if you don't have health insurance, there may not be the same coverage where the vaccine is guaranteed to be free. It's also important to note that the coverage for treatment for COVID-19 may vary between health insurance plans, so it's no longer guaranteed free either as well as most health insurance plans will no longer be paying for at-home COVID-19 tests. So like the tests where you could go and buy them from CVS or Walgreens and then get reimbursed by your health insurance, that is also most likely ending in May. If you're going to get a COVID-19 test and you want it covered by your health insurance, more likely than not, you will have to go into an actual physician's office in order to get it done. So just things to keep in mind that there will be little changes because of the COVID-19 public health emergency ending that may impact you. So just something to keep in mind. It's best not to assume that the status quo is going to continue. Now, I do have a blog post that we will link in the comments as well as those other shows and their related blog posts on the end of the public health emergency. So if you want more details, don't hesitate to DM me, send me an email, check out those blog posts. Lots of information as well as I have linked to like CMS resources. So you can actually read up on some of these waivers and make sure that you know are always going to the source. Thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. Make sure you're going to the source and make sure that if there's something that doesn't feel right, that you're looking up and asking for the policy, especially as times are changing, because it's easy for something to go overlooked or to hear a summary like this and misinterpret the information. If you want to have more conversations, you want more information around this, again, the Amplify OT membership is the best way to go for that. That's where I'm able to really give you that one-on-one attention and answer questions, as well as have discussions in our group forums and our meetups and all sorts of things like that. But again, the details of that are at the link in my show notes. All right. Thank you so much and have a fantastic rest of your day and stay healthy. If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. 
and I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community, and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT. Because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?